Hello and welcome to the PSPA podcast, which is kindly brought to you by Pavers Foundation in memory of Mary Yule. I'm Liz Sturgis, a PSPA volunteer, and in the first podcast of 2022, we'll be talking about advanced care planning. Today we're joined by Ewan Phillips, who will be talking to us about his mum, PSP, and their experience of advanced care planning. Hi Ewan, and thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Can you tell us a little bit about your mum and her PSP diagnosis? Hi Liz, yeah, really good to really good to join you. Um, yeah, my mum Lynn um, was a um, was a lady full of life. Um, she was a great adventurer, um, always travelling, walking, cycling, reading, and being outdoors with our dogs and wildlife. She was a real outdoors kind of active person. Um, yeah, her, her massive loves were, were birds, music. She sang in, in a choral society and was part yeah. of the choirs festival. Um, played the piano loads. Um, and just travelled and really loved being with friends. And we had a really like full and happy childhood. And our mum was really in independent. Um, we were, um, yeah, um, we, we left my dad when we were really young. And so we were like, it was just the three of us, but so she was a really kind of powerful, strong, kind of happy character that really kind of kind of gave us, gave us an, a really good, happy life. Um, and she was completely in control of her own life. Um, wow. Mum was a lecturer and a head of college, a community college, right. and um, she set up a really good programme in the 1980s to support women who had gone back into work after having children or had been caring for their parents or any other situation, mm. who'd often left with typewriters and came back to computers. And mum set up a really good course that really helped kind of thousands of women get back into work. And I, we met quite a few of them through mum's end of life journey. <laughs> we said all come into different careers that, that linked up and it was really lovely. Um, and um, yeah, mum retired in 2009. Um, and we had lots of adventures in, in those, those first few years of her retirement. My brother and I traveling around the world, seeing different things with our mum. And then things started to, to change. Um, yeah. Our mum started falling and um, having accidents. And that was really out of character. She was a really kind of um, really busy, happy, fun person, but, but quite quite careful as well. So, so it's a bit of a shock when um, she started getting injured when she was out walking. Um, we tried to get help from, from our, our local GP and um, they couldn't find anything or, or think of anything. And I've got a really amazing brother who he's a vet, but I, being a vet doesn't mean that he needed answer to PSP, but he just did lots of research thinking about mum's behaviour changes and, and the falls and the different kind of chats we'd have sometimes, which were out of, uh, out of her personality. And um, Toby kind of came up thinking, oh, it could be this thing called PSP. Wow. That of course, none of us had heard of, but um, one of mum's musical heroes was Dudley Moore who right. was a man who yeah. died from PSP. He's one of, kind of I guess, one of the, the highest, um, one of the most well-known people that have been through mm. the journey that we're talking about. And he was a pianist, as was mum, and all, all these kind of kind of connections. And mum was in lots of theatre performances and she was an actor as well. So, so it was a really kind of nice link. Well, nice yes. link in a bad way, but yeah. <laughs> something. Um, and my brother was able to organise a private appointment to see a specialist um, neurologist um privately to, to get some, yeah. some quick answers to help us understand could it be be the situation and we were lucky to see this this um consultant and he did his his tests and talked to mum looked to mum's eyes understood listened to the behavior changes that mum was going through and then yeah 
we got the diagnosis that it, that it was PSP, um, which was um, heartbreaking, but also reassuring at the same time, if that makes sense. It does. It, it helps to know what you're dealing with, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Once you know, then, you, then you've got a way forward. Um, so mum got her diagnosis in, in, in November 2016. Okay. And um, I think the same day <laughs> mum contacted the PSP, PA group and and you sent this amazing kind of manual booklet that yes. we could read through we all had a copy and we all read through it and mum just did so much work from that booklet alone just understanding what's going to happen what do I need to think about what do we need to start doing and she's very practical and and really strong character and that that really helped us kind of in the early stages of planning so that was yeah. really positive. Well, wow, it's quite a quite a journey quite a description of your mum there very lively and vibrant by the sound of it and uh, you know, she was around by the sound of the, the sound of it. And I, what sort of age was she when she had a diagnosis? Um, in 2016, so mum would have been 60, 66, 65. Right. 65. And then mum died last year um, at 72. Early into her retirement, really. So. Oh, and she planned so carefully. She'd saved so much money for her retirement that it yeah. obviously all got taken away. <laughs> And, and and that was a real shame because she worked so hard to have to know that she could have a good and she cared for her mum um and her mum died six years ago so just oh. before mum got the diagnosis when things were going wrong was when her condition became oh, more gosh. apparent but we were caring for our gran as well at the same time and supporting our mum with our gran but then my mum was taking a, a back step because things were going wrong and didn't want to upset her own mum to show yeah. that her personality was changing or things were happening so it was really really hard time for my mum but we got the most out of the time that we did have did. as much as we could which is all, all we all can do in the situations we have. So your mum was obviously um, a lady, she sounds like a lady who was well organised and, and planned and, and sorted things out so at what point did advanced care planning come up and did somebody raise it with you and did you need support in understanding what you'd need to do for this and how to open up the discussions with your mum about it or was it something she brought brought to the table I guess we've always been quite open about these things and we're all quite practical our mum's mum taught us to be really practical as well and um so um a few kind of quite a few years just before mum's retirement so in her mid-50s um she'd organized um to have the power of attorney um so yeah. that, that toby my brother and i would have equal power of attorney for her, her health and her financial um right. support. so that was all in place so that gave mum a great reassurance that she'd done that a long time ago and, mm. and, and people will say if you can do it as soon as you can when you're feeling good and yes. it's done and, and you just put it put it in a box and it's there it's done and yeah. so that was really good so that gave mum great security but we we're really lucky that we weren't a, we didn't need to use it at all and right. there, but we supported mum to be as independent as she could be up until the day she died yeah and and so we're really lucky we had it there in case it was needed but luckily it wasn't um but I recommend everyone to get it if they can <laughs> oh absolutely yes um and mum lived alone um she, um she she recently moved into a new house um and we just adapted the house as mum's needs changed. So we'd have our challenge, our next challenge of as, as PSP moves on and you yes. move through your journey of PSP, different things happen. And we worked with phenomenal people. So, so in answer to your question, um, we found out and then we thought, okay, what are we gonna do? Um, 
we talked about kind of who, who we needed to speak to. So that was um, the GP first to, to let them know that mum had the diagnosis and what support the local GP, small kind of market town in, in Worcestershire. So really connected, everything was connected. It was really good. Yeah. Um, I spoke to the GP, the GP then could refer us to the OT, the local occupational therapist, and also re refer us to the speech and language team at the same time. Good. We got really early referrals, which really helped us on our journey. Um, and we just got to meet both people pretty pr pretty early on to talk about um, obviously the OT about mum's living conditions and mobility conditions and then then the speech and language therapist about mum's swallow mum's um, speech about how that might play out in, in the in this in the story we had going forward so, so, so they were really really positive and and we, we had lots of questions. Mum always wrote down lots of questions that she could ask. And obviously, as part of the, the journey, your, your writing changes, unfortunately, yes. as well. And, and um, at, at the early stage, Mum did as, as much as she could. We wrote lots of letters to people that she wanted to say goodbye to. We did lots of, kind of early planning like that that was really important for her. And um, like to her, 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 her niece, she really loved her niece and was really fond of her, but wanted to write a, a note to her so she could do that. And we did things like that really early on. Yes. Um, and we talked about death. We talked about um, what mum would like to do, um, which I guess I think we can we come on to that in a bit. I think I think we're coming on to that, aren't we? But this was this was all generated from within the family. This wasn't a healthcare professional suggesting no. that you have these conversations. Right? No, it's all, all family led. I come from a social care background, so I guess I, okay. I've got kind of, I've got an inroad yeah. into it all anyway, which is lucky. Mum was kind of working in in. in with people so she she had a good understanding and my brother from a clinical perspective being a vet babe that's yes, but yeah again yes, still clinical we, we, had, we had a good knowledge together and and then we did other things like mum said I really want to get a stair lift so we just mum disorganized it and had it fitted straight away fairly, yeah. fairly early on and um, because we were so nervous about mum going up and down the stairs when we lived so far away so, so she took on board she knew that her life was about to change and we went through those changes and mm. um, but yeah, giving up the car was heartbreaking. Giving yes. up her bicycle, she cycled all the time. Giving up the bike was awful. Giving up walking, giving up a dog, all those things we had to do in those first kind of few months were really yes. tough. Um, but but mum wanted to make sure that she was as safe as she could be and yeah. that the situation could, could, could be managed as safely as it could be from all of our perspectives. So it sounds very practical. And so you have the OT and the speech and language therapist. We've recently done a podcast with an OT about um, changes to the house and adaptations and things. So if anybody wants to listen to that, that's that's on the list on the website. And we um, we also talked to somebody who did voice banking. Did your mum do voice banking at all? We talked about it and I felt I'm so ashamed that we don't have my mum's voice. I've got it in my head, but we don't have it recorded. We might have one story that she's reading to one of my children. Yeah. Um, but we didn't but also I want to talk about, about the voice thing is really interesting I we were given one of the boards where you press the buttons and yes. the speech and language therapist misunderstood my mum and gave her buttons like I'd like to go to the toilet can I go to the cinema I'd like to I ride on a bus my mum was ashamed by this and she wouldn't use it oh because she just thought that's not me and so yeah. Toby He's really he's really technical, so he re, he reprogrammed the computer that they gave us, so that we had letters and Mum could write words, and and yeah. that was really good because she needed the paracetamol, but to the carer she couldn't explain that without pressing the buttons. So, mm. so we, 
we work work ways around stuff and yeah. try to be as positive and practical. And we, we use kind of basic Makaton sign language for certain things that, that work really well for mum. Um, yeah. Is that reduced energy use um, when she's getting really tired? Um, if you want, if there's a thing about communication tools later on about how you navigate not having the having a voice, if you want some stuff later on, we Toby and I can share that with later on. Yeah. It's interesting that you use Makaton. Makaton's a, a simplified version of British Sign Language, effectively, isn't it? And um, it, it's got some very clear signs that are very obvious to people who don't even haven't been trained in Makaton, really. Definitely. I mean, I just thought that was easier. But I, yes. I come from like Makaton background, so I just thought that would right. be easier way because yeah, you can say a sentence in one one gesture. <laughs> it's yes. not easier. Instead of saying quite a few things to get to where you want to get to, you just say to, like, yeah, toilet, and, toilet yeah. <laughs> and, and, and stuff like that. So it's really easy for mum. So you, you had all these conversations with mum. Um, were they difficult? Was it difficult to talk about later stages of the condition? Did you find it difficult? Did mum find it difficult? I think we all found it difficult because, because of the beauty of the internet and Google, we can see what those later stages might look like for somebody. Yeah. And I think when you, you can see those stages and then you relate them to your own life and the people you love, that has a very different impact to watching something about somebody else somebody else's journey um but it was really good because it opened conversations it opened conversations about okay what are we going to do if this, this happens like um yes what are we going to do if, if the pain gets too much and the discomfort gets too much and the quality of life is too low what do we do what do we want to do we, we talked about like practical things like that because mm. we're trying to think because we're, we're three people we're really close we're really really yes. close family and trying to think could that be one of one of the safest options for mum and and maybe safer option for, for Toby and me as well because we're in this journey with with our mum. It's not just mum; it's it's the people around you that are going through the journey yeah. at the same time, but obviously in diff different seats. Um, so, so we talked about that, and then um, mum was also got a leaflet about the brain bank um, at UCL, oh, yes. and mum it really resonated with mum about how she could help other people, which was kind of part of her her whole life anyway. Doing yeah, yeah, it sounds sounds right yeah. to where they want to get to. And she just said, actually, I, I want to give my brain and spine to the research. And that would, that least that kind of in this really difficult situation, at least that gives something positive out of what's happened. Yeah. And we were so lucky that we were the first family to get mum's brain and spine into the brain bank because of COVID. She was the first one yes. that accepted into it. Yes, because they were shut through quite a while, weren't they? Wow. Yeah. And, and we're just so, I think that gave so much cold comfort to Toby and me to know yes. that we got through. And, and how to that bit? And and again, that you know, it's probably a whole podcast. But th how was the conversation about that? It, was that a difficult conversation to have, or at the beginning? It, or, mm. um, it was. A, <laughs> I suppose we don't normally talk about stuff like that. People generally no. about oh, what are you going to do when you pass away? Are you, are you going? No. To, we, we're all donors. We're, we've all got donor cards in, in our wallets, yeah. and. And that was the thing of, of, of mum to say, oh, you must have a donor card just so people know that they can have your bits if something goes wrong. And and so, so I guess it was a natural progression from there. Mm. And yeah, it makes sense. If you're not going to need them and they can help somebody else, why, why not pass them on? And I think that gave mum a bit more purpose and a yes. bit more control maybe as well. Yeah. Obviously, she didn't know that, that we were successful, but I, I don't think she thought about 
it not being successful or, or not happening. I don't think maybe. No, she probably assumed that once all the paperwork had been signed, it would happen. It doesn't for everybody necessarily, but because of various circumstances. But um, great for you and your brother that you were able to fulfil that for her. Definitely so. And, and, and Toby, Toby and I just smile about it now. We're just really happy that we had to really push it because we had time 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 limits of um when yes. to moment of cold storage when to do all those things and and, and we we're fairly close to our to, to our, 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 our tolerance levels for um times um but we got the certificate quite quickly and um, and then most of this delay with, with the funeral directors picking mum up and um, to take her into cold storage because yeah, you have to go into cold storage um you have to go quickly don't you yeah, within three hours. Um, yeah. but, but we achieved it all, so it was all brilliant. Right. And then we did. The, Mum had to have a COVID test in hospital. Um, even though she'd passed away, she had to have a COVID test to make sure that it was safe to to take the organs for somebody right. to operate right. on Mum and take the organs. Yeah. Um, and that was fine, luckily. And then, yeah, everything worked out. And the funeral home were perfect. They hadn't done anything like this before, but they thought, okay, we want to learn, and and they were really with us on that, and that they were really supportive and really helpful. That's fantastic. And, and as part of the, the advanced planning, did you, I mean, it's not the care planning, it's the, the, sort of the, the afterlife planning, but did you talk to the funeral home before she died to, to discuss that that was what she wanted to do? Yeah, in, in the two weeks when we knew that we were, um, we knew that time was, was close. Um, we, we had, yeah, this is off, going off on a tangent maybe, but um, we, um, when we knew that mum mum's swallow had, had had failed and that she wasn't able to swallow take any liquids or, or have any food um and that was her own decision and we knew that our, our new journey was there and so yeah I, we popped down to see the funeral home which is in the same small market town had a chat to them explained kind of what was happening that we would be mum would be a guest kind of in the next few days mm -hmm. and to do some planning and told them about the 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 brain bank and then put them in direct contact with the brain bank at UCL who then liaised with them, liaised with the local hospital in Worcester to organise everything together. Obviously Fantastic. we didn't quite know the time zones because no. it's not definite um, but as soon as it happened everything fell into place perfectly and again that was that pre-planning. Yes. Mum did the paperwork when she could and um, she filled it all out properly, it got accepted, we got our number so that was there, um, a reference number um, to find mum's case number. Yeah. So everything was there the home were really supportive and if, and if homes don't know about it if, if somebody else is going through this journey and, and they have a relative that wants to donate tissue or, or organs um they just need to get the, the brain bank to talk to the, the funeral directors and, and yes. they can just reassure them and support them and link them to the local hospital that can help with with the process so it's really yeah. it's really easy it's kind of yeah just just got the professionals to do it together and you just need to let them know when is when is the time <laughs> yes You touched on something there, which I'd like to pick up. I know, um, so some people fill in a, a booklet called an advanced care planning booklet or advanced care decision booklet. Did you have one of those? Did you have a pre pro forma one? Yeah, we did. We had one kind of midway. We kind of done our own and then just written up with mum was really organised. Um, but then we did do one that we could share with the hospice. Yeah. Because mum's thought was she would be going to the hospice for her end of life, final stages. But um, we were lucky enough that we didn't need to go and we could have a really good home death. So right. we were really fortunate. Um, 
but we planned as if we were going to the hospice because that's what we, we all thought would happen. Um, yeah. But yeah, we did have that. We filled it out. Um, we're very clear on the things that mum did and didn't want. Um, uh, yeah, n no interventions, um, as natural and peaceful as, as it can be. Um, all of those things. So we did all of that to, uh, again early on. And then I think kind of maybe three years before mum passed away, we got the maybe a different paperwork from one of the the Parkinson's clinics at the hospice. I think it came through one of the consultants from there saying, oh, it would be good yes. for you to complete this document to say you've got it with you and um, to confirm the do not resuscitate order and other pieces. So, so it'd all be kind of connected and combined together. So you mentioned that your mum chose um, not to have any intervention with her swallow. Uh, that was what sort of flip tripped it for me that thinking, well, ha had she documented that? Had she, how did she go about um, making sure that people knew that and respected that decision? Just by writing in that pro forma, um, we discussed yeah. it, we all knew it, we told the doctor, so her, G her regular GP knew that as well. Um, so, so that was all really, really clear. Um, so everyone knew they needed to know, Toby and I, because we would be involved in whatever might be happening with mum. Mum yes. would have capacity and have that paperwork with her. The care agency knew um, that as well, who, who, who looked after mum in, in the final two years at home, um, and also her GP. So the GP, Toby and I would have been with mum and they would have discussed it. GP would have put it onto the NHS notes. So it would be kind of logged there safely as well. And were there any keep it safe? <laughs> yes. Were there any other specifics that she had um, th that she said, you know, very specifically, I don't want this or I do want this. Or I don't want, you know. Mum's main specifics, sorry, I can never say it, specifics are um, or were, um, if possible, to stay at home as long as she could, yeah. if she loved her home, um, to, to see her family and be connected to her family was another big thing. Um, to be as independent as she could be, um, which means different things to different people. But it was to kind of help mum be, yeah, be in as much control of her life yeah. as she could. She wanted that. She always had it and didn't want, want to give that up. She gave up enough other things like the car and the, the bike and the dog and the walking just to have a few things to hold on to that, that were her and her personality was really important. But um, no, it's really just a do not resuscitate kind of order yeah. and, and the, yeah, the no intervention um, but by that I mean things like having a peg fitted um, and, and, and things like that. Yeah. I was really clear that that's not what she wanted. Um, she'd had friends that had been through journeys like this and she didn't, she, she didn't want that final stage to be out of her control. Yeah. Um, so a, a peg, just for people listening, is a, a way of artificial feeding straight into the stomach and it's, it's a minor operation, but it's in, invasive. So people can choose not to have that. Um, and also you said something really important there about being at home, if at all possible. An advanced care plan is not um, a legal document for the most part. A lot of it's not a legal document, is it? It's, it's your wishes. And it's, I want to be at home, if at all possible. But sometimes medical intervention has to override that wish. Whereas there are some bits in it which are legal, like the do not resuscitate. Those are legal. Um, those are, you know, binding, aren't they? So there's, a, there's some legal bits and some non-legal bits in there. So. No, absolutely. And you can have your preferences. What we want. It's like, it's like if, you, if, if you have a baby, you have like a, a dream plan, but it might not always go that way. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a similar situation. Yeah, you, 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 you've got yeah, a wish list, but you also know that it might not be that wish list. At least you've been able to kind of yes. articulate what you want if you can have it. Yeah. 
Yes, yes, it's really clear that people know that, though, isn't it? That that it's not a this um, this is how I want the end of my you know my last year of my life to be, and that no deviation from that because actually, as you say, like like with the birth plan, you can't you can't always necessarily say that that's how it's going to be. It have to has to be a wish list, not a not a document. point of view you and your brother and from your mum and and maybe even for the medical professionals what did you feel were the main benefits from planning your mum's care needs in advance rather than having to make the decisions on on the hoof at the time so the benefits of planning in advance were that it did take some pressure away from us we talked about it in a relaxed way with a cup of tea or or coffee um, about what we what we were going to do as a family before things suddenly happened where we might have an ambulance visit and we have to suddenly decide quickly. Yeah. It gave us some real reassurance and also it was led by mum. She said what she wanted and like you say, within reason, we could we could, we could could make sure we were her voice when she didn't have a voice to make sure those things could happen. Yeah. So yeah, it's really important yeah, to do as much as you can. And and it's just really just, just talking through it as a, as a family or, or, or with a friend or a partner just to talk about kind of you know, what you want to happen. But it but the more you can do early on when you can do it and like the paperwork, like the, like the um, power of attorney and any other paperwork to do all those, all that planning as soon as you yes. can, when, when you feel well and feel strong that you can do it. Yes. It's really, really powerful and really, it will really help you later on. It's a good foundation for the journey that you're going on. Hmm. Um, Excellent. You mentioned really early on you and that um, some of the early symptoms that mum had were changes to personality. Did you find that that, affected how she planned the end of her life or did you feel that it was the mum that you knew from 20 years ago who was planning that um a mix of the two and um, my grandfather had vascular dementia mm-hmm. um, and some days he'd have really normal chats about normal stuff that would be in the day and other days it would be very different yeah um, and with our mum our mum had loads of really lucid normal days and 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 she was really strong and knew what she wanted and she was kind of really we were really with her on her journey and she knew that we were and so I think most of the time she was talking as, as she would normally do but just sometimes um yeah the, her behaviors would be a bit different a bit more kind of <laughs> odd yes. more, more, more stranger than normal sometimes but um just type my brother yeah Toby and I would pick up that things weren't quite right but no on the whole we, we could plan our conversations carefully as well. If, if we knew that it wasn't a good day, we'd just yeah. do something else. We, yeah. wouldn't, we wouldn't have to press upon it. We, and that's why having the advance and the, the pre-planning is all done. So if you did have a bad day and the bad day was the day that you had to get some, some intervention from, from, from different experts or different professionals or mental health teams, you could you could actually say, well, this, this is what we're hoping to do. Mm. to be the starting point for that conversation with, um, with, with a... Um, a paramedic or, or, or with, with any other professional so yeah having the stuff early on made it a lot easier and a lot less stress yes um, so we've talked about um the main benefits for planning care needs so what actually did you put in place what plans did you put in place for mum once we, we had meetings with the the OT and the speech and language team that gave us a kind of a good 
kind of framework to work from, knowing kind of expectations, opportunities yeah. to do with the situation that we had. Um, and we also bought a wheelchair, mum ordered a wheelchair for herself just to have that so she could be, be able to get out more. Um, yeah. Mum was having more accidents at home in the house as well. And, and especially in the kitchen. And mum used to love to cook. She was a really good cook, loved cooking, yes. loved hosting, really loved it. But she was having accidents, things, things were burning, things, mum was falling. And so we soon realised that we needed to change that situation. So I worked really hard and found three local um, people who were kind of, they, they had a, a range of roles, kind of, um, kind of cook, cleaner, carer, kind of support different people with three different people would come in each day to support mum yeah. um over over about a two-year period and um, between early early diagnosis and full and um, full full living care um but but these these ladies were amazing they'd come and cook for mum spend time with them eat with mum and um, just give mum real confidence and um, could help mum host host a meal with a, with one or two friends as well it was really lovely yeah. um so we put that into place quite early on because we didn't want mum to get hurt or or, or really burnt or damaged in the kitchen um but that was hard for mum because she knew what she liked and for somebody to take that away from her and make her food was tough so we, we worked yeah. really hard to make a really good menu plan and to say what mum likes to eat and talk about spices and flavors with mum really liked really interesting food yeah. so that was really important so we got to work with people around a good balanced diet which again is important for for, for, for longevity and health anyway yes um, so we put that into place that was really important to the food so my brother and I would know that mum would have food and drinks throughout the day later on um the, the ladies would help mum get up out of bed to get dressed or to have a shower um and to um also get ready to go to bed at the end of the day and then things changed and, and we need the full-time care because we needed um like a downstairs commode and different things so yes. things have changed so we wanted more more kind of specialist support um mum had a panic button one of these local um local authority call systems yes um she had the button <laughs> but never pressed it um <laughs> or never had it when she needed it, it, was, it <laughs> which is always the case and um yes. That was one of the control measures we tried to put into place while she was still living alone at night. Um, so, so that was hard, but, but we, we, we worked through it to keep her safe. And then we realised that, that things were getting too difficult. I, I, I live five hours away, so it was really hard to quickly yes. get, get, get there. My brother could get there quicker, but um, it, it, it was difficult for all of us. And Toby and I were nervous at night. So um, we found a really good local agency, um, a care agency that had experience of people with PSP. Um, that was really important because if you don't know about it you don't know about it and mm. misunderstand it and that, that was really strong for us to find an agency that had that knowledge um, and then about two weeks after the full-time care started and um, we, we rearranged mum's house we had a really lovely room for the carer to stay in they had their own bathroom and their own room and and, and it was a good it was a good situation um, carers loved looking after our mum um, and we had carers that would be with us for like between two weeks and, and six weeks in, yeah. in, one, in one sitting. In a block, yeah. And, th and that was really good again about kind of making mum feel safe and secure. We, we had two carers that it didn't work out for, but that was only two out of probably 12 different carers over the two years. Oh. Um, and mum loved seeing her, seeing her friends, which was part of the carers being able to open the front door to let them in because mum couldn't get to the front door to let people in. Yes. And, and we went through that that kind of a few months where that wasn't possible, and that's where we got really nervous um, about mum falling and having having accidents. But mum was really gracious, and, and she really took on the need for somebody to come and live with her um, and look after her needs. 
and yes. where she's independent we, we kind of made it work and, and and it was it was positive on the whole because it kept mum at home and that was a deal I guess yes. there yes. was yeah you can stay at home but we need to do this or we we need to look at something else and mum said oh I'd like to try that because I, I want to be at home I want to yes. do that and familiar things um mum lost lots of contact with lots of her friends because of the condition which was really sad lots of friends couldn't deal with it found it too yeah. difficult and and a few really good friends obviously stayed in touch but it was a really diminished number of people and that really surprised us we didn't expect that because I suppose we'd never been through a journey like this before and and that was a real shock that quite a few people stopped calling stopped coming um and I think it's because mum might have been a bit erratic on the phone sometimes her voice yes. is hard to understand on the phone things like that and I think it just put people off which is really mm. bad because if, if you've been friends for a long time We've, that was the hardest bit my brother and I found because mum's friends were really important to her and, and a few people got lost on the way mm. but, but the really good ones stayed and that was that, that was positive so we had we had some really good times with, with her really good friends one of our best things was her best friend from school came and she was telling us a story this is kind of about halfway through maybe like day six or seven that, that's when mum's eyes had closed and she was mm. slowly winding down um, Gillian was telling us a story about one of their teachers with a funny name and then mum just belly laughed in the corner <laughs> and it was so lovely because she, she was in her bed next yes. to her bed, but she is in the corner of the room and she was just laughing and that was just a really lovely that gave yes. Gillian warmth to get home but also it, Toby and I just felt oh this is really special and yeah. uh, my brother's a pianist as well so he was playing music to my mum all the time as well and um, and the piano is in the same room because mum, mum moved from upstairs to the, to the living room on the in the last few months of yes. life um so that that was really positive so do you have any top tips for anyone listening who might not know where to start with advanced care planning we've been talking about this a lot in our local um pspa group in in norfolk and suffolk um because my mum's journey was in in worcestershire where she lived i was able to bring quite different experience um, to the group and the group live in different pockets of, of Norfolk and Suffolk mm. so they all had different PCTs and, and CCGs working with them yeah. and we all had quite different stories so we've started working on a, on, on a like a document to help people know who they can talk to or who they could ask so that even though it would change from, from kind of authority to authority it can give people a starting point and even if the terminology is wrong like the, the title is wrong or, 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 or the service is wrong by speaking to a professional in, 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 the, in the CCG that you're based in, they could help you find that right person. So we've worked on that, but it's in very draft format. So I think we want to share it with the group once we've got it a bit further along the line. Mm. We think that would help because we I didn't know about um, continuing healthcare until um, kind of partway through my mum's life, um, end of life. And that was only through my wife's grandma having continuing, continuing right. to keep yeah. her at home and that's how I found out about it but I didn't know about it until then and so it, it isn't known and but we'll talk about that in a minute yes. um, but it is really hard to talk about your own death and the steps between now and then um, I guess as, as humans it's a topic we like to avoid um, but with my with our mum she was really practical and a good planner so we got to talk about it really openly and clearly um, and we're just really proud of our mum about how she managed this situation. She never complained. She never got, she did get upset a few times, but she, she never complained. She just went with it and she knew 
kind of the stages as, as they were coming along, which I guess made that much easier for my brother and I, but for other people, it would be different. But um, yeah, we just worked through it together. Each challenge, we'd work out how to deal with the challenge and go forward to the next. Um, and, and I guess the only advice, top tip is, is, is really talk about these things because it's a lot hard, it's a lot harder to talk about them if you, if you can't speak, if you're not able to use your voice and if you're not able to write things down. A lot of us kind of have an idea or know what, what we want to happen in our lives. And if we can share that and write it down when we can, often when early on in the diagnosis, I think that would really help the whole the whole unit, which whatever type of unit of, of people it is together, to know the way forward. I think that would be really, really helpful. Um and 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 take a lot of the stress away because it's it's kind of it will reduce stress in, in the group. Um we were lucky, mum had chosen all the music she loves, so she she'd listed it, she got the CDs ready, so that was really good. And um, she chose two poems that she absolutely loved. And she even wrote some of the words for, for the service. So, so Toby and I really helped my brother and I with yes. the planning. And um, when mum got her diagnosis, she immediately paid for her, her full um, funeral package as well yes. with the local um, and funeral directors, which was five minutes walk from the house. She did that straight away, which again, made life a lot easier for us because we yes. knew what was going to happen. And um, we talked about her, the funeral that she thought she'd like to have and we had a green burial which was really lovely mm. and um really peaceful and um we knew that mum wanted to donate her brain and spine when the time was when it was time and and that could happen um all those things happened through those early conversations um also because our mum loved traveling my brother and i got the chance to take our mum to the green burial site ourselves and um, because I've got an old Citroen, which mum used to travel in the 60s, which is why I'm addicted to them as well. And um, a friend had an estate version of, of the same car that was multicolored. Every panel was a different color. And wow. he, he painted it the, like the year before. So it looks, look, looked really bright. And yeah. mum asked for a colorful funeral. And so Toby and I got to drive mum with mum in the back of the car on a really hot, it was a really hot summer's day last summer and we used to go to Greece a lot so mum loved the heat and and and, and the weather so we had all the windows open with mum in the back in a in a um in a, in a willow um coffin just chatting away like it was our last road trip and, and that was really special that gave my brother and I kind of so much comfort yes just talk to our mum and just have that last time together that was really unique yes. and then we arrived at this green burial site saw her best friends and family and just walked mum to a small service together under the trees it's it's a perfect summer's day and that was really special and um mum loved wildlife so it was a perfect place yeah um, so that that was really really special for us and then um we had the wake in, in in the woodland as well i organized the wake to be there as well so we could eat together and have a drink together and just chat and it was perfect mum would mum would have loved it she would have been, been so happy with the, with the whole day but we hadn't talked about those bits but we just we we just made those work for her because that's yeah. that, that's what she would have really loved yes. um, so, so I think yeah really 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 talk about those things because it, it really gives you comfort because you know that's what the person that you love wanted would mm. want and it just helps you it takes a lot of pressure off you as well because yeah you know what to do and if they if they know the music they like if, if they know that any, any readings they want to have it's great because it just 
they're with you when you're when you're planning the service as well so it makes it a lot a lot easier for you so, so that was yes. that gave us a lot of comfort my brother and I um yes I can imagine goodness so so your your top tips really are to get on and and do the advanced care planning talk about it early on get get it written down did you um did you have any support from the hospice about it I know you said they asked you to fill in a document but did they give you any kind of hands-on support with it or were you far enough organized that they didn't need to the hospice were amazing mum had been going for about five six about five years just after her diagnosis she started going to the local hospice in Worcester called St Richard's Hospice and they they have a living well program that was so positive for mum she really looked forward to it and I guess other hospices offer a living well program around the country something similar it, it just gave mum a, a purpose people she could talk to she went to she went to the parkinson's clinic yeah mum mum didn't have parkinson's but it was a really no. good kind of network to have a, when you could have a coffee and a chat with, with other people mum really got a lot out of that um and with um her exercise and movement they supported us with with that really well um no, no it was a really positive experience with the hospice and end of life and um, they came to see mum because mum had asked to go to the hospice and we asked them to come and see us if to see if mum could come because we hadn't been in a situation like this before so we didn't know what to do and, yep. and they came and said well this is the perfect death this is the perfect place to die just stay at home and do what you're doing and, and be together and enjoy it and and that just gave my brother and I lots of confidence to think actually yeah we we can do this and mum will love this and, and she was loving it and every day we'd wheel her across her living room to, and the whole side of the house opens up so we'd wheel her so she got the breeze and the sun on her each day and, and it was a really lovely weather so it was great weather so she was really alive in her last days just winding down slowly with music with birds with everything going on around her yeah. with, with, with her, her boys with her as well so she was in the safest place she could possibly be yes and I know we're really lucky because so many people haven't had that journey that we, we were lucky enough to have because some people have had awful times in these last two years but um it's really just yeah just talking about it thinking how you, it can work for all of you as, as, as a family yeah to make it as good as it can be mm. that's the only advice just yeah try and talk try and plan as much as you can early on because then you don't need to talk about it unless you have to because you've done it and yeah. then you can focus on other stuff focus on living after you've talked about the dying bit you can focus on the living that's really good advice yeah Thank you, Ewan. This has been such an important subject to cover and you've been so generous with your time and your your family circumstances with us. Um, I'm sure listeners appreciate hearing your experience and could take away some key pointers and reassurance about the advanced care planning process. So, you know, once again, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, if you're listening and need some support understanding advanced care planning, the PSPA helpline can talk you through the process as well as providing some useful resources. Contact on 0300 0110 or email at helpline at pspassociation.org.uk. Thank you. Thank you.